So Lauren, many of the strategies in the book are actually intended to make new ideas, aerodynamic as you call them, and such as introducing new ideas in the way that make them seem more familiar and therefore less threatening, right? Now, some innovators may worry that some of these strategies might actually water down disruptive ideas into more incremental improvements. How would you respond to that concern? Yeah, great. That's a great question. There are a number of techniques. First, even when you're moving incrementally, you're not changing the ultimate goalposts. You're just creating stages to get there. But I absolutely understand that concern. So allow me to suggest a couple of ways in which, and again, this is what are the biggest, obviously often the most important innovations and changes we are trying to bring about are often the biggest. And that creates a lot of inertia that can create a lot of resistance. So here are a couple ways we might reduce that resistance without watering down the ambition of the idea itself. One approach is time. So humans is a fundamental aspect of human behavior is we need time to acclimate to an idea. One dimension of familiarity is just how long have we been acquainted with an idea. So ideas or ideas and innovations are like kids perhaps, but you might also say they're like alcohol. So if you think about most people, for people who drink, most people's first experience with beer, the first sip of wine, the first sip of alcohol is not pleasant. And it's not pleasant because the taste of alcohol is unfamiliar. Like they've never had that taste registry before. And because it's unfamiliar, it's unpleasant. Now imagine the first time people sipped alcohol, they had to make some binding decision about whether they ever want alcohol for the rest of their life. That would be terrible for the alcohol industry. But I think it's not a bad metaphor for what leaders often do in creating change because you as the leader spot the problem, then you often with, out of good intention, you see it as your responsibility to find the solution. You refine that solution until you think it's ready to be unveiled and then you unveil it. And in that uh, boardroom, you expect people to endorse the idea. We're not giving people any time to acclimate to the idea. So one way in which you can help reduce some of the resistance is simply think about time and repetition. I'll do a simple demonstration of this in class where I will pose a new idea. And then I'll say at the beginning of a three-hour lecture, I'll say, if you want to, this is a change from the syllabus, but if you like this change, raise your hand. Or I'll say at the end of the lecture, I'm going to ask us all to vote on whether we want to endorse this change or not. And there is a dramatic difference at that three-hour part moment than if you do it immediately. Because even though I don't bring it up again, the idea is rattling around in their head. And again, if this is a terrible idea, time is not going to change the resistance to it. But what we are really talking about, these are the resistance of good ideas and what is it about our nature that leads us to oppose good ideas for which we have compelling evidence. One is if we give people time, this can be repetition. My home institution, I thought did a beautiful job when it came to mandating vaccinations to be in person. You don't have to be vaccinated, but to be at 
the Kellogg building, you need to be vaccinated. That was not sprung upon anyone. First, it was an idea and we got an email about it. Then it was uh, about a week later, we got an update and there was a long time for us to acclimate to that idea. So one, people might think about time and repetition, allow people to acclimate. Uh, a second idea, this I think is one of the most uh, powerful practical strategies for breaking down resistance to change. Uh, first, we have to think about what is our, what is the natural way we try and bring about change. So imagine uh, this is some new product that you want people to, oh, that doesn't work here with the background. Imagine you want people to embrace some new technology. In the conventional approach to influence and the fuel-based approach to uh, innovation and influence, what we do, we as the innovator or leader, we find the new path, we put it in front of people and we begin to sell the benefits. We're trying to elevate appeal. The problem with this approach is when we offer people one option, one path, one thing, there is an implicit point of comparison. What people naturally compare the new thing with, they compare new innovative against what is known, what is comfortable, what is familiar. And that is inherently for the innovator an unfavorable point of comparison that creates friction. I hope that one takeaway from this might be anytime you hear yourself giving people one option, it might sound an alarm to suggest what I want to do instead is put my innovative idea in a better context. And there are many ways to do this, but one simple way to do this is to add a more ideal, more extreme. I'm not talking about some invented concocted option, but if you look at most initiatives, what people are really putting forward isn't ideal. Like you as the leader, you as the innovator know what the ideal outcome is as far as you're concerned. But what we often offer people is what we consider a realistic option. It's still a win, but it's a somewhat tempered win. It's a somewhat compromised win that we think by compromising, by reducing the ambition of the innovation will reduce the friction. I think this is a horrible instinct around bringing new ideas to life. I think a very powerful rule of thumb is never remove ideal, rather bring people a set of options, bring people idealistic and the realistic option, because what you're doing is changing the fundamental points of comparison. People no longer are implicitly comparing it. Which do I prefer, the innovative new option or against tradition, the, what is known, what is comfortable, what is familiar? Instead, you focus attention on which of these innovative solutions look best. And by keeping ideal on the table, in relative terms, we make the realistic option, which is often what we were gonna to bring to people anyway, in relative terms, it looks more comfortable, more familiar by comparison. Yeah, I, I think that makes a, a ton of sense. It's almost like a Goldilocks principle of bring these options to the table. I think in some way it may also help with putting that person in a position of power and feeling like they're in control to make a more informed decision versus being sold to or sold on one option. So 
it almost feels like a more informed conversation about what's the right path forward, which is always a great situation to be in. Lauren and Stacy, what an engaging discussion. We started by asking the question, how do you bring innovative ideas, products, and initiatives to life? That was our overarching question. How do you actually get people to embrace new ideas and innovations? Lauren, you brought it to life through the concept of fuel and friction. I think about them as the yin and yang, right? We talked about four elements of the friction and several examples there. Inertia, right? The degree and intensity of change, effort, the actual cost of implementation, emotion, what negative reactions can be, can the idea or the innovation produce? And then the whole frictional element of reactance. Does the audience actually feel pressured to change? You gave us great examples, Lauren, on how leaders can address these four elements of friction that are getting in the way. And the starting point of that is to assess what are the mechanics of what they're doing uh, that are causing this, these, these frictions and then start to work on ways in which they can remove these frictions. You also talked about the whole concept of influence without authority, right? This is where leaders and managers often need to influence the decisions and actions of others, but aren't really given the formal authority to compel everyone to get on board. This is especially true in innovation. Instead, they must actually rely on their influence skills to get things done and rely on the skill of, I love what you call self-persuasion. How do I make this idea, this innovation that I have developed, how do I make this idea feel like it is the idea of others, right? Bring that self-persuasion on. And finally, I loved your uh, couple of other uh, examples also that you brought to life around trying alcohol for the first time, giving people time to acclimatize to the change. And then Stacy, the Goldilocks principle that you talked about, putting the innovative idea in a better context. It's not just about having the realistic uh, option, but bringing the idealistic and the realistic uh, options on the table uh, so that people get a better context uh, around that. So Stacy and Lauren, thank you so very much for the time and I really appreciate uh, the time for the discussion today. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you so All much. Right.